Go ahead, let's have a seat. Uh, ushers, you can come forward. Let's give out how God has given to us. It's all from him. It's all for him. That's a great thing. If you're here for the first, second, or third time, or you've just never filled out that connection card, go ahead. I'm going to give you about 25 minutes to fill that out. And then as soon as we're done, you walk out those doors, and you'll do two things. One is you'll take a really hard left, drop off your connection card, get a gift from us, and then you'll go back yeah, west towards GB3. And don't worry, you don't have to work out, because before you get to GB3, uh, you're going to get some tri-tip, and it's it's our way of saying thanks so much for joining us today. It's the beginning of a new season of ministry. That's a good thing. Tri-tip is a good thing. And you're here, which is awesome. So you know when you go to the airport or you go somewhere big or anywhere public, and there's usually a group of people walking around. They all look stressed. They all look bothered. And they're all wearing the same color shirt. Right? Like, you've seen that before. Everybody is like bright yellow or bright green or something bad, but you get enough people together to do the same thing, and everyone knows we're a group. So, this weekend, uh, I went down to Southern California not to go to the beach, not to go to Magic Mountain or Disneyland. I went down to help my parents move uh, because everybody's life needs to be more hard. Uh, and while I was there, I saw that group of people. And I saw them twice. And the thing is, is usually when you see that group, like, it's just, I don't know who they are. They're whatever. They're people. But they're all wearing the same color. This time, when I saw the people all wearing the same color, I knew exactly what they were doing. Because they were all wearing red. Right? And last night, the Bulldogs were down in Southern California. They were beating the UCLA Bruins and taking their blue sky off their jersey back here. So we woke up, and it doesn't look like it did on Friday. I saw the people, and I immediately knew, like, that's four people who look like us, and they're all wearing red. They're definitely down here for the game. That was on Friday. And then on Saturday, I saw them again. Four more people all wearing red, different people, but they're, they're doing the same thing. And the thing is, is a bunch of people from Fresno standing around in Southern California wearing red isn't really that big of a deal. But it points to something. It points to something exciting happening, something that we hoped that was going to happen last night. Uh, and, and it came to fruition when the dogs beat the Bruins. Long after I saw that second touchdown, and then like second touchdown in 34 seconds, turned off my phone, went to bed, just like uh, none of you did. But, right, like if you're tired today, it's worth it because they won, okay? What we're talking about for these last few weeks uh, is the saving life of Jesus. It's moments in the life of Jesus that you put them together and it means something. And I've said from the beginning, it's kind of like a wedding. Like you walk into a wedding and the people are there single and then by the end they're married. And it's just kind of like, okay, what, what happened? And now they're, they're married. Something happened within that. And within the life of Jesus, there were 11 things that happened that you put them together and you have an incredible life, a life that has never, ever been duplicated, one that changed everything for us. And so we've been looking at those things. What are those one thing that leads to another from the life of Jesus and how that impacts your life and mine today? And today, the one that we're looking for, last week I I said it was the one that made the most sense because it was the teaching. Jesus' teaching makes our lives better and makes us better at life. This is the one that will sometimes make no sense. Where the power of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the holiness steps into our lives in a way that stops making sense and we're good with it. Because today we're talking about the miracles of Jesus. We're talking about Jesus' ability to step into life and completely upend the way that things were, not just culturally or socially, but physically, but biologically, and, and, and so many other ways around that. And this all starts around a story. It says this. This is in Luke chapter 7, 
verse 11. And I love stuff like this because Luke is the crowdsourced gospel, all right? Matthew walked around and he saw things that Jesus did and so he wrote them down. Mark hung out with a guy named Peter who walked around with Jesus and he saw the things so he wrote them down. Luke, it says, put together tons of eyewitness accounts about the life of Jesus. So instead of one person, he's got a hundred people who are saying this is what happened. And so Luke writes this about the life of Jesus. He says, soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed Jesus. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man, uh, who, uh, sorry, the young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. Like the first thing that I recognize in this, the first thing that sticks out to me in this is that Jesus is just there doing life among people. I think if you look at secular people, one of the things that they mention, the way that Jesus is portrayed in art and in movies is he's normal. And that's because Jesus gives us a real life picture of what God is like. Jesus gives us a real life picture of what God is like. Like he's in the little things as much as he's in controlling the world. Like he's got his hands in Afghanistan, even if we don't see it, just as much as he's just kind of walking through town and there's something going on and there's a family that's hurting. And so Jesus is there. I think if, if you've read the Bible, and even if you don't, and Jesus is this powerful figure and whatever, like we can start to see what's happening. There's a dead guy. There's God with skin on. There's a guy who would really be helpful if he comes back to life because it's the widow's only son. So she's got no husband to protect her back in those days. She's got no son because through whom she's going to have security. She's going to have inheritance. She's going to have all these good things. Like, all that's gone. And Jesus walks up. So it's like, we, we can see it. We can hear his music. It's the bass is starting to build. It's like, this is, this is what's going to happen. Everything is going to be great. And Jesus' miracles show us his love, his holiness, and his power. And it'd be great if he just like snapped his fingers and it was done and everybody couldn't like go to tri-tip early. I'm thinking what you're thinking. Let's be honest. Verse 13, it says, when the Lord saw her, this is the mom, his heart overflowed with compassion. And he said, don't cry. Two things stick out to me about that response. This woman has just lost everything. And Jesus walks up to her and says, don't cry. Honestly, it reminds me about you're in a conflict, a discussion about differing opinions with your significant other. And you say, calm down. Has that ever worked? So we don't know if it worked. He says to her, don't cry. I didn't write it, but I'm guessing it might not have worked. But that's not the point. The point is, is that Jesus identifies with what's going on in her life emotionally. Like he's not just going to walk by and say, healed, and just keep walking. Like there's a moment for him to stop and to engage. There's another story. We're going to kind of fast forward through a lot of these stories. But there's one where I, I, I call this the mission impossible miracle. Okay, we'll put the picture on the screen and you'll find out why. Uh, where one day Jesus is talking and it's, it's a crowded house. And some friends have a paralyzed guy that they want to get to Jesus, but they can't get in there because it's super crowded. And so they take the tiles off the roof and they lower their buddy down, Mission Impossible style. In my mind, this is exactly what it looked like. But in reality, the guy was probably way more freaked out. And so Jesus looks at the guy, he understands that he's paralyzed, that he can't move. There's no wheelchairs, there's no ADA, there's no programs for anybody like that. There's no hope. And Jesus looks at the guy who can't move. He's got no hope. He's got nothing. Mission Impossible style rolled down in front of him. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Now, 
Was that the most helpful thing? And in the moment, couldn't that have been done later? Could we talk to him and talk about life and sin and how that's part of all of us? But Jesus was going at something bigger right there. He says to him, your sins are forgiven. Once again, he's identifying with what's going on in people's lives that's bigger than the immediate need. That's bigger than the woman whose son just died. Instead of walking by, he says, your, son, your sins are forgiven. And immediately, the people around him, the stiff religious people, they say, they say, this is blasphemy. This is a capital offense. This is something that we could kill you for. And so Jesus says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I love that. Jesus is calling his shot right here. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything. He said, hey, by the way, do your legs feel better? Can we actually pull this off? He says, stand up, get your mat, and go home. And the reason that he does this is because first he's demonstrating love. Right? The, 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 the understanding in that sense in that culture in that day was that if you had something wrong with your body, it's because there was something wrong with your soul. So they put this guy in front of Jesus and immediately shows him love. And then he goes after holiness. It's sin. It's sin that separates us from God. It's something that God knew about. God knew two things before Jesus entered the world, and one of those was that he knew us, and he knew that he loved us. This is a decision. This is God's character. We can't make this go up. We can't make this go down. God looks at you and me as we sit here today, and he says, those are my kids. I love my kids. They look like me. They have a desire to create and and make things like me. I've made their minds like mine. They're my people. I love them. And he understands that within all of us also, there's stuff that, that runs away from God. There's sin in all of our lives. And so when Jesus looks at the guy and says, your sins are forgiven, it's not because he had done something specially bad. It's because all of us have done something bad. All of us have sinned. And so Jesus' first miracle in the person's life is forgiving him of his sin. <clears throat> I think Jesus knew that if he restored his legs, and his arms, then the guy can walk, his soul is going to stay the same. The reason is because our biggest issue isn't the conflict in our life. It's the stuff that's going on in our soul. It's the darkness in our soul. The reason that we know that is because we fix everything else in our lives, make every other part of our life absolutely perfect, and there's still restlessness inside of us. Because sin is our biggest issue. It will always be our biggest issue. It's not kids. It's not money. It's not relationships. It's not our parents. It's not our job. It's not our car. It's not this. It's sin. Because that's the thing. It continues to infect and affect everything else around us. And so Jesus tells the guy, your sins are forgiven. And he knows that. He knows that that's the big deal. But he wants to prove the fact that he has the authority to heal. So he says, your sins are forgiven. Stand up and walk. And immediately the man jumps up. He's like, there's no doubt here. He's not wiggling to his feet. Like he jumps up and he runs home because Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He has the authority on earth to bring healing. He has the authority on earth to bring life where there's death. And he also has the authority. This is the word that we've come to know before. This is going to bring back some bad memories, but here we're going to redeem the word. Only Jesus can pivot a funeral. Right? Only Jesus can pivot a funeral. So he's there. The woman's son is dead. He tells the woman, don't cry. We don't know if that worked or not. And then he walks over to the boy. Jesus walks over to the coffin and he touches it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. 
If you've ever been at a funeral before, that's not the place to go rogue, okay? That's not the place to go off mic. That's not the place to improvise. We make a plan, we stick to the plan because the last thing you want to have happen as a funeral is people to go off the plan. But Jesus can. Jesus can pivot a funeral. The thing is, is this is part of Jesus' ability, part of Jesus' authority over all creation. There's a bunch of different miracles that Jesus does that, that impact areas of our life and the the. the Subject and the reference are going to be on the screen. So if I'm talking about one of these and you're like, oh, that's totally me, take out your phone, take a picture of the screen and look it up when you get home. But there's one where he goes after somebody's financial life. They're fishing. They had fished all night. They had caught nothing. For those of us who fish, man, you go outside, you don't catch anything for a night. It's like, okay, well, it was cold. I'm fine. Maybe ate a lot, maybe didn't eat enough, but I'm okay. These guys were fishermen, so this is their livelihood, They come back in, they're exhausted. They had put their stuff away. They're bringing in nothing this time. No fish, which translates to no money, which translates to no food. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to throw your nets in one more time. That means you have to go through the unpacking. You have to go through the cleaning. And they throw them in one more time. And what happens is this time their nets are so full that they need help to bring them back into the boat. Man, we let Jesus into our financial life, and it's not because he's going to help us get quick, get rich quick. It's because he's going to show us how to obey him with our finances. And through that, he's going to work through that quick obedience. It's going to open the door for more. More of what? I don't know. But through our obedience, God is going to provide for us. He's the God who knows everything about us, knows, owns the cattle on the thousand hills, owns the hills also, needs nothing from us, but out of his ability to provide, God who knows us and loves us, leads us in how to manage our money, even miraculously. So Jesus wants to pivot our financial life. He can also pivot our emotional life. Man, this time, it's, it's not one of the guys in the boat. It's one of the guys behind a tax collector's booth we think, okay, it's IRS. Like, that's a good, stable job. What's constant in life? Death and taxes. But for this guy, this person, this day, he's a Jew sitting behind a Roman tax collector's table in Jerusalem, in Palestine, in the area where the Romans were oppressing the Jews. And so this guy had turned turned his back on his family, turned his back on his people, turned his back on his country, and had turned toward those who were oppressing his brothers, his parents, his siblings, his kids, And this guy, whose name was Levi, was working for him. And so Jesus walks up one day, and where everybody had probably told, given him their two cents and spit in his face and told him he's a traitor, told him he's an embarrassment. Parents probably haven't talked to him for however long because he's betrayed the country. Jesus says, I want you to leave all this, and I want you to follow me. That's the offer of Jesus to you and me today. Loneliness is a big deal. Loneliness is its own epidemic. And what Jesus offers us is Jesus offers us relationship. He offers us hope. He offers us new life. He offers us friendship where the rest of the world might have written us off. He does that because that's true to his character. That's who he is. That's the way that Jesus pivots our emotional life. Next is physical life. There's another story where Jesus is walking through town. Again, he's doing normal things. This is where God steps into normal life. And there's a person who's sitting by a pool who's been unwell for 38 years. Some of you, that's older than you are. 38 years, the guy's had problems with his legs. And so Jesus asks him a great question. I think this really reveals God's heart in this. He says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And the guy's response, which should bring so much hope to us, is, I can't. Like, that's not the question. 
Jesus asks, do you want? And he answers a totally different question. Jesus heals him anyway. The reason is, and this is what I want you to hear today, because if you came in, if you carried in with you today physical maladies that you need Jesus to heal, the answer to your healing is nothing that you are going to do. Because Jesus heals a guy who completely answers the wrong question. The reason is, is because Jesus' ability to heal isn't couched, isn't lodged, isn't based in our faith. It's based in who do we put our faith in to heal. It's Jesus. So if you're here and you're thinking, man, my condition is my fault, it doesn't matter to Jesus because Jesus is a healer. The miraculous life that raised Jesus from the dead lives in him, lives in us, and he wants to bring healing to us regardless of what we do to impact it or expect it or ask it or try to manipulate it along. It's not because of our faith. It's because of the one in whom we place our faith. Jesus also wants to pivot our sexual life. There's a church party, and, and there's a woman who walks in. And we don't know her name, but we know that she is a sinful woman. Now, there, there's 10 you could pick from, all right? You, maybe, she, maybe she works too hard. Maybe she works on the Sabbath. Okay, Vegas didn't get Sin City as its name because it's open on Sundays, right? Let's be honest. They say sinful woman, they're going out one thing. And so she walks in and, and Jesus is there and he's sitting, like he's not sitting in a chair like we do, thank God for 2021 because we got to have chairs and stuff. He's sitting on the ground with his feet behind him because that's how you did it back then. Uh, and she comes in and she kneels down behind Jesus. And she starts crying and, and washing Jesus's disgusting feet with her tears and drying them with her hair because she's realized that Jesus has brought life where everybody else around her has brought death and curses. She experiences the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus. And once again, Jesus says some honest things to her. He says, your sins, and they are many, are forgiven. We can look at it and say, that, like, that's rude. Just, just point out how many things she's done. Jesus, that's rude. But you know, it's, it's not rude if he's saying, I've forgiven you for everything. Your worship, your faith demonstrated, your faith put into action. That's the next thing. Your sins, and they are many, because I know about them, are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. This demonstrated faith changes us. God created sex to exist between one man and one woman and one marriage for one lifetime. And just like with what we talked about earlier, your sins are forgiven. God created all that, knowing all the ways that we're going to mess it up. And so what he also created was he created forgiveness, which he pays for personally in his own body on a cross. That's why Christians love crosses. That was why we have crosses everywhere. Because it reminds us and reflects God's love poured out for broken humanity, even in our sexual life because he wants to give us a new life. He wants to teach us a new way of handling this. And then there's relational life. Jesus wants to pivot our relational life. Man, you all know those people around you who you don't want to bring up anything. Don't want to make them mad at all because they're going to bring a nuclear bomb to a thumb war, right? You need a boom. So Jesus had two of these. Like that's how patient he was. He got two of them. They were brothers. Their name is James and John. And one day they want to go through the city and tell people about good things. Jesus probably wants to heal people, provide food and stop funerals because he's raising all the dead guys and all that stuff. And the town says, no, we don't want you here. You got to go. And the brothers get this great idea. Hey, you're God with skin on. Let's call down fire from heaven and burn them up. 
And some of you are thinking, that's horrible. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I think that's fair. That's good. Okay, you're the person who needs this. Like, take out your phone, get a picture, read it when you get home. The thing is, is that these guys age really well. One of them gives his life for the church. He's the first, he's the first of the 12 to be martyred in the book of Acts because he finds out that Jesus restores people. And their idea to burn down the city because they said no to Jesus, they saw that this Jesus turns into a resurrecting, reconciling, reforming, rebuilding, redemonstrating and introducing people to what love is. And so he gives his life for that, for the fact that God rebuilds people and restores sinners. And the other one grew to be an old man. At the end of his life, he writes the book of 1 John. It's one of the tiny little books at the end of your Bible. And it's all about love. It's all about what Jesus did for us and how we reflect that in love. Same guy who wanted to barbecue a city because they said, no, please go away. They had a no soliciting sign on their city. The guy wants to barbecue him and, and Jesus changes his life because that's what Jesus does. He also does it in our personal lives. He wants to pivot our personal lives, you know, for those things that we're convinced that nobody knows about. One of Jesus' followers, Jesus' closest follower, the night that Jesus was arrested and tried and killed the next morning, he was at the trial. And somebody sees him in the background, and they ask this guy, Peter, they say, are you with Jesus? He says, no. They ask him again. He says, no. They ask him again, and he swears at him and says, it's not me, no. And Jesus hears that one. He looks at him. And immediately, it's that moment of hot shame and guilt, you know, that just like starts right here and just extends through our chest. We know the feeling. It's not a good feeling, but we all know it. And Jesus raises from the dead after he's killed. And one of the first people he wants to see is Peter, the same guy who says, I don't know him. The reason is, isn't because he wants to rub his face in it. This is what you did. You said you don't know me, and now we're, it, it's on. Jesus says, no, I want to restore you. I want to demonstrate to you what forgiveness and love looks like. And so just like Peter had a question three times asked of him, Jesus asks him a question three times. He says, do you love me? Peter said, yes. And he says, okay, feed my sheep. He says, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. And he says, okay, then take care of my lambs. Third question again, do you love me? And he says, you know that I love you. It's three times. It's three restorations after three denials. Jesus tells him again, feed my sheep. I think the word for us today is for those areas in our life where you and I are embarrassed about the things that we have done that nobody else knows about. Jesus is calling us today, do you love me? Are you gonna let me get into your heart, get into your mind, get into your way of thinking, get into the way that you process decisions as, okay, I know this is wrong, I did it anyway, I don't wanna do it again. And to actually bring restoration, to actually bring life where there was death in the past to save us from guilt and shame and lead us instead into face-to-face -face transparent relationship with him. And so Jesus walks up to the funeral. Young man, I tell you, get up. And then the dead boy sat up and he began to talk. Once again, there's no question. It's not, I think there's a pulse. It's the dead guy is talking. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us today, and God has visited his people today. And the news about Jesus spread throughout the Judea and the surrounding countryside. Today, Jesus is calling us out of our casket, back into life with him. Calling us out of our casket, bringing our lives back to us. And the thing about worshiping a miracle, doing, restoring God is that you and I are never broken to the point of not being able to be repaired. 
We admit the fact that we're broken. We understand the fact that we're broken. That me, as I stand here, I am a sinner who is separated from God because of decisions I have made, things I've done that I wasn't supposed to do and things that I didn't do that I was supposed to do. And you're with me. Whether or not you would identify today as a Christian, that is who we are together. And nothing else will separate, will, will separate us from that pain, from that angst, from that separation that we have from God other than Jesus. So what Jesus does is he steps into our life, that he lived the life that we could never live. He died a death on a cross that he didn't deserve, but we deserve with the opportunity for us to trade our broken, busted, sinful life for his perfect life. And when we do that, we bring in God's work into our life, which shows us over and over again that all type of miraculous restoration is possible. He's not saying you're never gonna have any more pain or never gonna have any more problems. He's saying that in me, you're gonna find spiritual restoration. You find your sins forgiven. I'm gonna work your finances in a way that's gonna show you who I am in new, fresh ways. Who knows if we get rich, we're gonna have God instead which is better. I'm going to work your relationships, your emotions, your sexuality, your, your personal stuff that nobody else knows about. You let me in and I will bring life where there is death. And that's the goodness of Jesus, what we get to celebrate today. Let's stand and pray.